0: Hey, how are you doing, podcats? It's Adam Buxton here. It's great to see you with my mind. Thanks so much for joining me. Here we are, walking along a dusty farm track in the east of England as the sun goes down around about the middle of August 2022. I've got to tell you, that it's a very beautiful evening out here. Dramatic is the word, sky-wise. You know, it's sunset, there's some crazy clouds in the sky because we are coming to, well, the end for the time being, at least, of a heat wave here in the UK that has scorched the earth. With any luck, we're gonna get some rain. Storms are forecast. Certainly the skies around here are looking pregnant with water rage. But so far, no actual moisture. Anyway, that's the weather situation. You're welcome. How are you doing? I hope your summer is proceeding as well as can be expected. I'm doing fine, thank you. And so is my good dog friend Rosie. She's up ahead, sniffing. But hey, look, let me tell you, a little bit about my guest for podcast number 186, the Scottish musician, director, and one of the founding members of much-loved indie pop stalwarts Bell & Sebastian, Stuart Murdoch. I know the episode is entitled Bell & Sebastian, but it's just Stuart that I'm talking to today. Here's some very brief Bell & Sebastian facts for you. The first stripped-down incarnation... Of Bell and Sebastian formed in Glasgow in 1995. An expanded lineup came together to record the band's first LP, Tiger Milk, in 1996. That was the first time they all played together, that original lineup. And as far as that LP is concerned, there was a tunefulness and a sensitivity to the music and the lyrics on Tiger Milk. That was, for some, a refreshing change from the laddishness of the so-called Britpop bands who had dominated the indie scene in the UK for the previous few years. And though just a thousand copies of Tiger Milk were pressed on vinyl, word of mouth and pirate copies quickly spread. And by the end of 1996, Bell and Sebastian had signed with the Jeepster label and recorded a second LP. If you're feeling sinister, another absolute peach. There have been one or two lineup changes since then, but they have kept making records. And their new album, a bit of previous, released in May this year, 2022, is their 11th. The band worked on the production of the record themselves, with help from producer and engineer Brian McNeil. And the NME's Gary Ryan says, all of the well-worn Bell and Sebastian hallmarks are present. But what's truly impressive is how effortless it all sounds this time around. In addition to making music with Bell and Sebastian, Stuart Murdoch wrote and directed a musical feature film released in 2014 called God Help the Girl, starring Ollie Alexander of It's a Sin, Celebrity Gogglebox, and the band. Years and years, you know the guy. My conversation with Stuart was recorded remotely back in April of this year, 2022, before the release of A Bit of Previous. And as you will hear, Stuart, along with the other members of the band, Sarah Martin, Mick Cook, Richard Colburn, Bobby Kildare, Chris Geddes, and Stevie Jackson hope I'm pronouncing those names correctly. Apologies if I didn't. Recorded versions of a couple of songs from the new album, specially for the podcast, and you will hear them shortly, as well as some great hot waffle between myself and Stuart about some of the music that influenced Stuart over the years, with particular emphasis on the Velvet Underground, or at least the Todd Haynes documentary. That led us on to the subject of encounters with Lou Reed, record producers in general and what they do and the effect that living with the condition ME has had on the way Stewart writes songs we also spoke about songwriting in general and Stewart was kind enough to give me a few tips however our conversation began with me commenting on Stewart's excellent look which you can see a screen grab of on my website if you're interested there's a link in the description i'll be back at the end but right now with Stuart Murdoch, featuring music from Belle and Sebastian. Here we go. <laughs> a um a sort of groovy cartoon character
2: (laughs) i wish there was my kids would like me more
0: (laughs) (laughs) how old are your children five nico and eight denny oh man hey that's fun that's a good age they say it's fun think of another word beginning with f (laughs)
2: there
0: there is fun in there i mean when i think of the early years i don't remember those fondly but by the time they were around five i think i was adjusting to fatherhood a bit more and i could enjoy it you've got girls though i've got a girl she came along last Uh to shine light around to, and show to sweeten us the
2: deal yeah <laughs> yeah i never thought i'd have boys
0: did you not no
2: i always thought i had three girls like the president in the west wing and they, <laughs> they would
0: just grow up and and look after me so when you were imagining yourself as a father if you ever did such a thing you were thinking of sensitive conversations with young women i think i just thought that they could go off and do something with the mum Right, okay. And leave me in the greenhouse
2: to be grumpy. And then, you know, just come in and give me like a pat now and again. And (laughs) (laughs) it it definitely didn't work out like that.
0: Yeah, two boys. It is an absolutely knackering thing to be a parent, especially in the early years. And you have always talked about the fact that you've suffered from chronic fatigue syndrome or ME. And that is presumably an ongoing process of managing your life in all sorts of careful ways. When did the ME take hold and how did it come on? That
2: was kind of late 80s and it came on gradually. It took me about a, a year and a half to get to my worst. I was just giving up one thing after the other. And then I sort of bottomed out and then I had a, a nice six or seven Years of uh, wilderness before the, you know, before I, I got the band together. So,
0: Six or seven years of wilderness. I know, yeah. What does that look like? I mean, we're talking about chronic fatigue syndrome, myalgic encephalomyelitis. Yeah. Also known as ME. Condition that causes extreme tiredness and a range of other symptoms. So as far as you were aware when it began, when you were in your late teens... What did you think was happening?
2: I didn't really know. I thought I was having a poetic fall like um, Holden Caulfield in Catching the Rye. I I was reading that book a lot and I thought, wow, what's happening to Holden's happening to me. Uh, But it was less fun. It lasted longer. It wasn't just like a quick trip to the mental ward. It was, um, you know, there's a lot of physical stuff as well. It's actually my mum that she said, I hope you don't have that ME. She was a nurse. She was the first person that, sort of paid any attention because the
0: you know the doctor didn't really know what was going on. And so in fact, that's that's what it was. How did it manifest itself for you? So it was a combination of physical symptoms, lack of energy, etc., I'm presuming, and then kind of accompanying mental fog or depression?
2: Well, actually, the, the, I mean, the, the depression didn't really kick in until year three, which seems, maybe that seems weird in the scale of things but uh, I was actually okay mentally I mean my my life completely changed it's more just like a battery your battery getting pulled I did a lot of athletics uh, and I was working nights burning candles and just mad on music just a bit mad really not looking after myself also conflicted a bit of bit of confliction that'll get you in the long run. Conflicted how? Well just conflicted about what one was meant to do a lot of pressure I was kind of brainy when I was at school There was a lot of pressure to become a scientist and just do science and do university I was the first in our family to go to university so my dad was on my case you know this was a big deal back in the day um so yeah there was there was pressure but I realized that you know when I got up to Glasgow the beloved city of Glasgow it had a lot of attractions that weren't anything to do with science or physics or university i thought university was rubbish it really it didn't i was too young you know i was 17 when i went there so i got interested in a lot of other stuff but
0: confliction you know so you started listening to a lot of music right yeah yeah that's when i got obsessed with it all and how did that obsession take hold originally i got into a
2: band i got into a a band with a bunch of doctors. They were all doctors, except me. I answered an advert in the student union and um, they were called, well, originally they were called Philopie and the Tubes. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Wow, that is really reaching.
2: Yeah, yeah. But they were all doctors, so that was a nice uh, Philopie and the Tubes. And then they changed their name to the seizures. And... uh, (laughs) But it was nice because they used to pass me, you know, they were they were fun guys and, you know, we went to this basement and they gave me the only ones and they gave me Orange Juice and they gave me Roxy Music and, they, they you know, they said, learn these. And, and then I threw in some of my things that I liked. I couldn't write a song then, but uh, so that was
0: an, a nice little starter. Did you go out and see a lot of music at the time? I mean, I know that you were a big fan of Orange Juice, but... They were they still around even at the end of the eighties? No,
2: and that was a that was like a big gulf. I, I mean, like I got into Orange Juice, you know, around eighty six or something. But they left Glasgow, I think, in around eighty one, eighty two, and they'd broken up anyway. So it seemed like a huge gulf. It felt like I was doing a detective job on the whole postcard scene. That that's what got me into the pop group and Young Marble Giants, all that great post punk stuff.
0: Mm. I looked at some of the records that you some of your favorite albums on on a Quietus article article by Adrian Lobb lots of good stuff on there Simon and Garfunkel Bridge Over Troubled Water Stevie Wonder Hotter Than July ACDC yes Beatles Smiths Cocteau Twins The Fall but I didn't see any um Velvet Underground and I uh, for some reason I maybe lazily assumed that, that they were a big influence on you?
2: Um, I think that article, I was um, I was trying to do a little... Chron- I remember that article and I was trying to do a little chronological thing. I mean, the thing is, if you ask a musician what their favourite record or records are, they, they have so many. You know, they change sure. all the time. So I could have picked eight different records that day. I don't have them, uh, you know, sewn into the lining of my underpants or anything. What? In case I get run over. So... <laughs> I think I was trying to do a chronological thing. That was the you know, I remember when Stevie Wonder was my favourite thing and then A C D C was my favourite thing when I was twelve and then the Cocteau Twins. But the Velvets, to be honest, they didn't really uh it wasn't till the later, till the nineties, the that I, I started
0: looking back at the the Velvets. Have you seen the Todd Haynes documentary? About Velvet Underground. Yeah. I think it came out fairly recently and it proclaimed itself to be a kind of half music documentary, half art film, avant-garde image and sound mashup. And actually, it was fairly straightforward. I don't know; it was okay, but it was like actually, it made me like them a bit less after I watched it. <laughs> Do you ever get that? Yeah, well, that's the
2: danger. I don't always watch too many music things. I don't. I, it's you know, Bob and Stevie and. Chris and the bandit, you know, they really soak that stuff up. I'm I uh, I I tend to, you know, I'd be a little bit careful.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean the music was amazing still. It's very good. It's never suddenly gonna sound shit. And Lou Reed's voice is so compelling and cuts through everything. You can kind of he's a bit like Mark E. Smith, you could sort of hear him reading out the phone directory and there would be something entertaining about it. Oh yeah,
2: definitely. I had to sing in front of him one time. Lou Reed. Yeah, it was random. It was like I was in New York and I wasn't even, I was just on holiday, I think, with my wife. And there was a thing called it was the Kitchen Organization and it was something to do with my record label. They just phoned me up and said, You're in New York. Can you come down and, and do a couple of numbers? And um, I didn't have any instruments. And usually I don't like to do anything without the band. So I borrowed somebody's uh, like a squeeze box thing. It's like a a thing with pedals, or a harmonium. Like I have a couple I used to play. And I, I played an old Scottish song, "Ye Banks and Braes," or of Bonnie Doon. Then I played one of our own songs, and um, but I thought, well, do you know what? I don't. I haven't played guitar in this, so I got the fella from Talking Heads, um, Jerry Harrison. No, the singer, um, David Byrne. Yeah, I, because see, I knew he was part of the organisation. I said, right, I'll turn up and do this. If you could get David Byrne to come play. Guitar for this song, oh my God, and he did whoa, and I don't think he was I don't think he was very pleased. <laughs> <laughs> why was he grumpy? I think he was a little bit grumpy. I would be grumpy, I think I had more hubris back, you know, like it was ten or fifteen years ago i I just thought, well, come on, why not that would be that would be fun let's you know so but but Louie, he was just sitting in front of me, and he didn't look too happy either. Um, <laughs> he never did though, did he? Well, the, the only story I heard about Lou Reed Was that it was a friend of a friend Went up to him, saw him at an airport You know, with his dark glasses And um uh, <laughs> thought, fuck, that's Lou Reed I mean, you've got to go up and say hello You've got to say something <laughs> So he walked over and he didn't get within Like six feet of him And the guy didn't move, he just said Fuck off, kid <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's what you want he's like yeah i met the reed <laughs> they really told me to fuck off that's perfect isn't it yeah. i mean that really is definitely the guy in this in this todd haynes doc there's quite a lot of stuff about his early years and the stuff he used to get up to i mean obviously he went through the ringer himself and there were all sorts of issues that he was dealing with and treatments that he may or may not have had imposed on him like medical treatments he always claimed that he got ECT to kind of shock the gay out of him that's his phrase and um, who knows how that affected him but he was already quite a cranky character as far as I can tell the only worthwhile artistic expression at the time for him so this is early 60s or whatever was just to confront everything that went against society's values and norms so for him it was all kind of gay clubs and fairly violent sex and like taking friends to really rough clubs even though he knew it made them uncomfortable and all this sort of behavior which would be in no way acceptable Nowadays, you, you couldn't really talk about it casually in an interview and expect to get away with it, you know what I mean? But that was his whole M.O. And if he, you know, if,
2: stating the obvious here, but if he hadn't been who he was, the way he would have written the stuff he wrote and and performed the way he wrote, nobody did. Yeah. Um, and these performances are, are priceless.
0: Yeah. I mean, I guess speaking of kind of focusing on... The seedier side of life, that's not a million miles away from what you were doing in early Bell and Sebastian days and marrying a very kind of accessible, tuneful, melodic pop sound with lyrics that were quite dark or talked about, you know, strange things that you wouldn't normally have in, in, in a pop song. Stuff that you would normally find in a kind of gritty novel, maybe.
2: Yeah, I was, just, I was just writing about what was around and how I was feeling. Uh, there's, you know, nothing. I didn't have anything to lose, so I didn't have to pander to anyone. I just I just let it out and, you know, wrote about the, the people around me. But even the people around me that you might think were kind of deadbeat, and they were better than me because they were well, so I could romanticise them. I thought, you know, the people that were taking a lot of drugs or messed up and sleeping in a different bed every night i mean that was amazing to me that people could do that never but also somebody who could just get up go to work come home have a drink it was all that you know normal and abnormal behavior any any type of behavior was interesting to me so i used to to write about them
0: right so you're almost like a scientific observer I was a little bit. But do you still feel disconnected from what's going on around you in the same way? Do you still feel that you're in a separate world because of Emmy?
2: A little bit, yeah. But I think everybody is in a separate world. I mean, if you want to generalize, I think everybody has their own thing going on. Their, their mm-hmm. own, It's got their own movie very much in their mind. So I don't mean to say wow I'm unique because I had this experience or I'm having this experience there's some very good things about the experience I'm having so I don't want to moan about it or make it out to be so special.
0: Yeah you mentioned seeing people you know going out and boozing and taking drugs or whatever was it clear to you fairly early on that that was not going to be something that you could do and manage the condition?
3: Oh
2: yeah absolutely I was almost like straight edge, even to the point, like, no
0: shagging. I mean, sh- you know, no... What's wrong with shagging? That would just knack you out.
2: Yeah, it's just, or, uh, well, it's getting into the realm when sex would even be uh, on the menu. I, I mean, I couldn't... Like, I'm talking about those long years, especially the early years we were out of the game. And I say we because my friend Kira and I, Kira had ME as well, and we used to sit in rooms for long periods talking about the possibility of having boyfriends and girlfriends and just but just talking and dreaming and talking about the past because it was kind of beyond us we were like people moved too fast we couldn't keep up and we had the occasional dalliances and then when they realized what the deal was then you know they the the people quickly sort of moved on so you had to had a you had to have a a bit of a sense of humour about it. Sure.
0: (laughs) Now, you have, I understand, very kindly recorded a couple of tracks. Is that right? Or just one track? No, we did. We recorded two songs for you yesterday. And I wish I could, um, you know, I wish
2: I've got an injury just now or else I would have just played you a couple of tracks. But I I think maybe, you. hopefully you got quite a good deal out of it because it was nice to involve the, the group. And so we made this album And then we've come back and this is the first time we try to actually play the songs live and they've come out quite different in the in the way that we played for you.
0: Oh, wow. Thanks very much. I'm honoured. Please pass on my thanks to the rest of the band too. What's the name of the first song? The first song is called Young and
2: Stupid. And it's the first record It's the first song on the on the new LP. And it is a, a little bit of a a looking back being sad in the present moment and looking back to that particular period of being young and stupid and we've talked about it already that was my years before i got sick the kind of uh, late 80s djing and messing around being in other bands yeah
0: fallopian tubes years <laughs> yeah the fallopian tubes
2: all right here we go for the adam buxton show
0: That was Bell and Sebastian with Young and Stupid, specially recorded for the Adam Buxton podcast. Thank you very much. And that is a track from the new album. What's that called? It's called A Bit of Previous. Hello. And am I right in thinking you're producing that yourselves? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, I mean,
2: I think that word producer production is a is a bit of a mysterious thing. Sometimes a bit of an entity. And all our early records were produced by ourselves, although we never said on the sleeve you know we worked with very capable engineers and 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 we are working with one this time but um yeah we were co-producing
0: with brian Uh uh-huh as you say it is still a mysterious thing with a producer isn't it because i think i always just assumed the producer comes in he sets up the mics he or she sets up the mics although there aren't many female producers i think that is something that is uh changing gradually We've looked for
2: them. I think it's changing, yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Um, But certainly in the olden days, it was uh, a a world that was dominated almost totally by men. And um, they would come in and I thought they would set up all the mics, plug in all the guitars, make sure everything was recording and balance all the faders and things like that. But actually, generally, it seems to be that that's what an engineer does. And the producer just swans in and sits there and goes, oh, what about a wrap uh, around the middle eight section? Am I
2: right? Rolls up a massive joint. Yeah, exactly. But it can be. It's a sliding scale. You do get, I mean, the thing is a good producer will know that if what is needed at precisely that point is just to simply come in and roll up a joint or make tea, they will do that. They'll be like, you know, there's some magic happening. I can already hear it. Just let it happen. But it could be like the band never showed up and they've got to start making the record and they start, okay, well let's dig out a drum machine. Let's let's make it. So they they can be doing everything, they could be doing nothing. We were with one of the most uh famous producers of them all, Trevor Horn. That was the first time we actually worked with a producer and it just happened to be Trevor Horn. And uh Sometimes we'd be, you know, we'd be bogged down. we trying to get a thing going. We were in his manor house in Oxfordshire, and he'd say, "Let's go, let's go and put a rocket up." And he had these rockets that he got. I don't know whether they were pneumatic. I don't know, but they went thousands of feet in the air. You know, we went to the middle of the field, and all the dogs came with us, barking madly. And he had these. We were in the four wheel little tractor things that go fast, and uh, we'd put a rocket up, and he said, "Yeah, that it raises the spirits." <laughs> <laughs> and then we, then we go back in and do something else
0: good one that's Trevor Horn's secret for creative success put a rocket up yeah maybe Elon Musk should produce a few records <laughs> Trevor Horn that's cool were you a fan of his stuff when you were young I always remember seeing video kill the radio star on top of the pots and being completely besotted with that
2: yeah oh it's classic it's Single, but I—I I was a yes guy. I was a, like a prog rock guy. Yes man. So I—I I this I was a yes man. I had this secret thing. You know, everyone was like, "Oh wow, Frankie Grace Jones, ABC," and I was like, "Trevor used to be in yes. I mean, he was right. in them. I mean, he he produced them, but he was in them."
0: That's right. I forgot about his yes years because "Owner of a Lonely Heart" was very good when that came out. That sounded very futuristic, as did so many Trevor Horn productions what was that like for you though going in with the bell and sebastian record were you sort of what were you hoping to get from working with someone like him
2: yeah we were hoping for a owner of a lonely heart but <laughs> it didn't work out you know we um yeah we were hoping for art and noise or but he was really at the time which was 90 no wasn't it wasn't it was 2001 2002 that we were with trevor and i think it was his daughter that had heard one of our records and played it to her dad and said, you should get these guys. And, um, and so we did And he just loved that You know, we played as a band um, and he, he loved that experience
0: of just recording us all. Yes. And that was Dear Catastrophe Waitress that you did with him. And that was, yeah. I heard you talking about, this was around the time that your film came out in 2014 that you directed, God Help the Girl. And, I saw you doing a Q&A, maybe in South by Southwest or somewhere like that. And you were talking about the fact that you sometimes uh, might be just jogging or something like that. And a song will arrive more or less fully formed. You can hear it all in your head. You can hear the arrangement. You can hear the strings. You can hear the tune, even the lyrics sometimes. Is that right? I'm very
2: flattered that you kind of remembered me saying that. It's funny that you were in the, so you were in the audience, I think it was. No, wasn't?
0: no, I watched it on YouTube.
2: Ah, right, okay. But even, even so, yeah, there was a very specific instance when uh, the the first song of that movie, the thing that made me write the film was something that switched on like a radio while I was out running in Sheffield on a dark night along a canal path. But that was, um, it wasn't me singing. The reason I could hear like a radio was, was somebody else was singing. It was a female vocal, which was which hadn't really happened to me before, and that's why I ended up going uh, on that diversion.
0: Is that something that happens to you a lot, though? You can, I mean, I've heard other musicians talk about that kind of thing, talking about almost channeling songs, feeling as if they haven't really written something, but they've just been, it's, it's almost just arrived, fully formed, you know, people like Brian Wilson and Musicians like that, I just find that miraculous. And does that still happen to you?
3: Yeah, I, w- I would
2: say so. I mean, I'm not saying it's miraculous, uh, but that's the way most of them show up. the Most of the ones that I author myself, uh that's kind of the way, usually just when I'm waking up or just suddenly you'll get a, a feeling. uh You'll get a feel. And Brian Wilson used to talk about feels. They weren't songs, they were like a little feel you get the idea for the song it's quite often a rhythm and uh, you know rhythm and melody and and then maybe you know I'd let the I let the words ride along with the melody because the first blush of words that come along even though they can be inconsequential you quite often end up leaving them in so that's handy to jot those down too
0: but do you ever write in a more sort of straightforwardly workmanlike way and if so how does that look so less often less often i do that i
2: usually just you know i'm usually the slave to the thing that we were talking about before but the interesting thing about being in a group is that an opportunity presents itself to write in different ways which is terrific because you've got your own tunes you've got a handful of those and then one day you'll come in chris is playing a great riff on the, the Wurlitzer keyboard and he says you know I've got this I've got a tune that you know I've got this feel and I said okay that's great let's do it and every you know everyone starts jamming for want of a better word jamming over the tune and that's an opportunity to to come up with a different melody to suggest a progression and write some words and those words are will end up being very different from the kind of words that you would write yourself waking up in the, the middle of the night. Um, so we're very, we're very lucky. I think all those different types of writing are, um, be, by being in a band, you are presented with different challenges.
0: I'm always amazed that you just seem to have this um, unending wellspring of tunes, like every single Bell and Sebastian tune that I can think of, is interesting it's got hooks it's pretty it's memorable over the top emotional sometimes <laughs> but there's always a lot going on do you know what i mean do you ever consciously try and write very different stuff uh or just almost squeeze out all the tunefulness and think all right i'm gonna go for something dour <laughs> and gray and indie sounding
2: yeah i know like that? Uh, it's funny Probably not, I think life is life seems too short not to kind of give it your best shot It was always my thing from the early days was beauty, 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 you know, joy Try to get the joy in there I can't really sway from that path, like I say, it just seems like time is tight uh, I mean, you know, maybe we should set ourselves a project Sometimes you do think, well, maybe we could write a song about this Let's write a political song or I, give, I try to give myself a challenge uh let's write a song about chocolate biscuits you know let's see how that turns out i think there's people in the band that are more enamored of that idea than than i am i tend to fall back on what i'm better at sorry the reason i mentioned chocolate biscuits is because yesterday we were going through while we were recording your session we were going through all the 70s and 80s tv adverts for chocolate biscuits that we could remember uh which was fun
0: what were some of the good ones
3: if you like a lot, a lot of, of chocolate on your biscuit, biscuit join,
0: join our club. It's a banger. And uh, you can start it with band.
2: The trouble is that all the... We found that so many of them were kind of vaguely racist. You know, they were... For some reason, they were kind of racist overtones in, in a lot of the... Yeah, you know, yeah,
0: yeah. It was the glory days of racist advertising. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so... Um, and there was... At the, at the cinema, there was the Kiora ad. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah too orangey for dogs what was it no it's too orangey for crows crows too orangey for crows it's just for me and my dog and bongo and all yeah definitely yeah things you simply
2: can and shouldn't be talking about
0: no (laughs) (laughs) but very memorable tunes to go with them that was the thing it was insidious yes if i wasn't doing what i am doing whatever i am doing i guess i would probably be a jingle writer in an advertising agency Because I don't think that I can really... Well, I'm trying to write some songs at the moment. I don't know why exactly. I got a record contract off the back of the podcast because I think they just wanted to release some of the jingles that I do. And they thought, oh, well, you've done loads now. We'll put them out. But then I thought, well, I've got a record contract. I should write (laughs) some songs. I should do an album. totally. And so I've been trying to write songs that are longer than 30 seconds. And it's really fucking hard. I can't. I mean, it's so difficult. And also because I've never written anything serious before. It's like everything. Everything just has to be silly. And um, yeah, you're a funny guy. Thanks very much. But I also have lots of not funny moments and moments that fall way short. And maybe they're mildly amusing at 30 seconds. But. Not for over two minutes you know what have I mean?
2: you ever have you ever thought about getting with some some guys and I say particularly guys because if you've got a problem with thirty seconds, just get with a couple of you know a drummer and a couple of guitar players that thirty seconds will soon become ten <laughs> ten minutes you know just get with a, a couple of guys who are into can or beef heart and uh, they'll they'll extend your shit <laughs>
0: that's a nice image um. Yeah, that's a good idea. Get jamming with some some blokes, some middle aged blokes. But seriously, I mean, there's so many ways
2: of of taking your idea and and turning it into a song, and and anything can be any little nugget of music can become a different style. Do you mess around with garage band?
0: Yeah, man, that's my whole. That was where my music potential was suddenly unlocked because I never had any. Discernible musical talent and so i never did any music lessons i just assumed well that's something that musicians do that's something that talented people do they they learn how to play guitar and piano and they understand all that stuff so i never ever did it and was always jealous of people in bands and then i got a computer and it it had garage band on it i was like holy shit i can just whack together these loops and it sounds almost like a song and it was wonderful like This week, I tried to record a song playing guitar and bass, just DI'd into Logic, and um, it was really good fun, but, you know, just the physical limit, I just can't move my fingers fast enough, so I'm only on three chords, and it just sounds so horrible. Like, if you you squint, then it sounds maybe like a kind of uh, very indie lo-fi thing from the early 80s or late 70s or something. In fact, like a go-betweens demo or something.
2: I mean, that sounds great. I mean, that's, that sounds great to me. I'm kind of... I'm thinking, wow, that's a... You know, because things sound very clean these days. And uh, when something comes on from that era, it has a thing Yeah, uh, that I'm into. Well,
0: it's definitely organic. But then the problem is, well, what do I sing over this stuff? And, you know, my tendency is to be silly but uh, I feel like I've got to battle it to say something sincere every now and again. And then my sincere sentiments are so mortifyingly rubbish.
2: I could see why it's tricky. It's difficult to move from one thing to the other when you have And it's not even other people's perceptions. It's the perception you have of yourself. It's, you know, you're battling a, a few things, but you maybe just need a little trick or a, a little something to allow you to to find a new thing. And maybe we'd be getting in into a room with a couple of people. I mean, for years, when we got into a new album project, the, the word on the top of my page was collaborate, exclamation mark. Just remember how good stuff comes from collaboration.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. But all these things are easier to do when you're in your late teens, early 20s. You don't have a family. You don't live out in the middle of nowhere. You're not 52 <laughs> and all this you don't have all the other shit that comes along with being a bit older like again
2: again you know just uh it, it might not be quite the same thing but maybe bouncing a, a an idea over to to somebody and, and having it bounce back or else you could just have a long debilitating illness okay uh, and then you know just get some you know get the mumps for a while
0: (laughs) you don't hear about the mumps so much
2: anymore Yeah, you don't hear about the mumps proust proust had mumps didn't he he had a you know and then he wrote remembrance of things past i didn't know that he had mumps well i'm not sure if if he did really have mumps but he had something what is mumps (laughs) i don't know is it
0: sort of a glandular thing
2: (laughs) it's one of the three m you know mmr isn't it mumps measles and rubella
0: and rubella that's right But it's the one with the most fun name that sounded like a kid's TV show.
2: Yeah. You definitely swell up somewhere. Yeah, There's a bit of swelling involved. But once you're over the swelling, you'll be able to write to your heart's content.
0: I mean, Measles, (laughs) Mumps and Rubella does sound like a sort of Bell and Sebastian type indie band.
2: (laughs) I don't know why that concept album hasn't been written. Hello,
1: fact-checking Santa here. Mumps is a glandular infection that causes painful swellings on the sides of your face. It's easily prevented by the MMR vaccine. (laughs) Also, there was a New York dance punk band from the early 2000s called Measles Mumps Rubella. There's a
0: link in the description to their music, which sounds quite good to me. (laughs) Okay, time for more music, I think. What is the name of the next specially recorded Bell and Sebastian track, please, Stuart? It's called Unnecessary Drama. Tell us a little bit about this one, if you could please, Stuart. So Bob wrote this. He's a riffy
2: man. And uh, he brought this in complete, as he always does, in a military style and tells everybody what to play. But it's good. He always gets good ones. He commissioned me to write some words, but he told me it had to be called Unnecessary Drama.
0: So we're going to hear that now. Um, but it's so nice to talk to you, Stuart, and meet you after all these years. And uh, I mean, I say that because, you know, I was a fan back in the day and it was an exciting time to be a music fan when Bell and Sebastian started putting out music and Tiger Milk came out and it was this rare item that only the very coolest people were passing around and it's like look i've got the original artwork and hey this is just a photocopy of that you've just got this off some (laughs) other guy and it's like no this is an original copy and it was really cool and you know i that was around that time at the end of the 90s is when i met my beautiful wife and many of your songs soundtracked those early years of us being together and lazy line painter jane is the one that reminds me so much of the intense emotions i was feeling in those days epic stirring song um sorry i'm just sort of gushing at you but (laughs) i'm really grateful to you for coming on and talking to me and to the rest of the band for recording these songs thank you
2: adam it's been an honor it's been lovely
3: It's No.
1: and spend in your shop. These are the kinds of comments people will say about your website if you build it with Squarespace. Just visit squarespace.com buxton for a free trial and when you're ready to launch, because you will want to launch, use the offer code BUXTON to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. So put the smile of success on your face with squarespace.
0: Yes. Eight. Continue. Hey, welcome back, podcats. That was Bell and Sebastian playing a song specially recorded for the podcast. Did I mention that before? I can't remember. It was specially recorded for the podcast. I'm very grateful indeed to Stuart and to the rest of the band. I have linked to some Bell and Sebastian-related bits and pieces in the description of today's podcast. What have we got? you got your tour dates. They are touring throughout the UK and Ireland and further afield later this year. You've got a video for a song they recorded earlier this year in support of people affected by the war in Ukraine. If they're shooting at you, it's called. Link to that on YouTube. Link to Lazy Lion Painter Jane just in case you're not familiar with it. Good video as well. Uh, There is a documentary put together by Pitchfork called If You're Feeling Sinister. Ironic because... um, I think Pitchfork absolutely slated If You're Feeling Sinister, the album that is, when it came out in 1998. And they have... They, they said it was... I'm trying to remember. I think I read this on Wikipedia. But they said it was a parody of the band's earlier work. It's a parody. Three albums in, it's a parody of their earlier work. It's a great album. Anyway, they have since withdrawn the review. The review's been cancelled And uh, a more positive review was written in 2018. What else have I got here? Oh, yeah, the trailer for Todd Haynes' Velvet Underground film that we talked about, which is good. I mean, it's worth seeing, especially if you're a fan. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I was in a weird mood when I saw it. Oh, I can feel a couple of spots of moisture. And I'm not talking about my pants. Sorry. Here comes the rain. Thank you, weather Jesus. Okay, I should wrap up. Um, thank you very much once again to Stuart Murdoch, Bell and Sebastian, and uh, Noam Klar for from the label for helping arrange everything for this podcast. Much appreciated. Thanks to Seamus Murphy-Mitchell for his always invaluable production support and hard work. Thank you, Seamus. Thanks to Helen Green. She does the artwork for this podcast, and I love it. Thanks to Acast. They are always helpful and work hard to keep this show on the road. Much appreciated. But thanks most of all to you, because I know, what do they say on airplanes? You have a choice. And we're grateful that you made this one. I hope you don't regret it and that you come back another time. I hope that things go well for you and uh, all your dreams come true. And uh, I was wondering if we could have a hug. Is that okay? Come here. Let's have a sensitive Bella and Sebastian hug. Hmm. Okay. It's <clears throat> enough of that. Oh, uh one last thing. I love you. Bye!